It's my favorite part of every superhero movie. It's the origin story, and everybody has one. Welcome to Pinecone Turkey's The Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Henry Harris, and it's my privilege to interview superheroes from all walks of life to find out how they got from A to B, to see where they might be going next, and how we all can learn from their journey. Welcome to the Origin Story Podcast, long-form conversations with superheroes from all walks of life. I am your host, Michael Henry Harris. Let's get right to it today. Our superhero this month is Shelley Helms Fleischman. Shelley is an artist and a poet. She works in mixed media and in caustics, and art has been a part of her life since she was a child. And to me, she's a prime example of someone doing what they love because they love it. And then when the timing is right in her life and in the marketplace, she's turning her passion into a career. Um, She's a remarkable artist and human being. Besides being kind, smart, and sensitive, she's also a friend and an inspiration. And without any further ado, my conversation with Shelley Helms Fleischman. Shelley Helms Fleischman, welcome to the podcast. So wonderful to see you. (laughs) It's wonderful to see you too. Thanks for doing it. Happy to. Uh, so I have about a billion questions, and uh, we won't get to all of them, but that's okay. And uh, several different areas I want to go through and talk to you about. But I want to start with when you meet new people, and they ask, you know, what do you do? Or do you work outside the home? Or that kind of thing. What's your, what's your standard answer these days? Well, I usually say artist first, um, which gets its own reaction. Most people don't know quite what to do with that. Yeah. Um, so they'll either skirt away <laughs> yeah. or they say, what kind? And then I have been saying encaustic um, because that is what I do the most of. But no one really knows what that means. And I end up having to explain that, which may or may not be the time and place. So now I mostly say mixed media. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, both of those terms would get the quizzical look from me. Can we really? just briefly do encaustic and mixed media right now? Sure, sure. Encaustic is by by far my favorite thing because you can do so much with it. But really what it means is working with wax and working with heat. The way I paint with it is I make my own medium with wax, beeswax, purified beeswax. And then I melt it down with Damar resin, which is more or less tree sap. And make little cakes in a muffin tin with that. And then I melt it down after I've kind of filtered it a little bit and I color it with earth pigments, which are ground up minerals for the most part. So we haven't even started the painting process, no, right? We're just, we're just assembling the materials. Stuff. Yeah, just making okay. shit. And so the, um, the earth pigments, like you would basically just grind up rust and then you make a rusty color, mix it in with the melted wax. Where do you get rust from? You're getting rust from like, you finding rust? <laughs> There's a company, well, several companies that make this kind of pigment. Okay. And um, I buy the powderized form from them. Okay. Um, so I make most of my own colors that way. And then I paint with the melted wax. But the fun part is you fuse the different layers with a blowtorch. Yes, yes, the blowtorch. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Or a heat gun, but blowtorch is much better. Uh, and it's called painting when you said, is it even, okay. Yes. That's you the same brushes. general term. Oh, okay. Uh, you do other things with it too. You can put paper and fabric in there. It's extremely flexible. Um, you know, I've put metal wire in. Um, you scrape it. You can carve it, make almost like a bas relief looking thing. 
Cool. It's very fun. It does sound very fun. Uh, and what would you? What would? What's your brief mixed media? Mixed media means you mix types of materials. Uh, I generally do it with acrylic-based products, uh, starting with a gel medium to attach weird and various things. I, Mom, when she was renovating in this last house, in one of the walls, she found papers from the 1940s. That's cool. Right. Um, and a big box of teacher's magazines from like the 20s to the 70s. Oh, but those are fascinating. Fantastic pictures and ads. and uh, So stuff like that. Fabric, laces, stuff I've inherited from my husband's grandmother. Um, old books, law journals. I, a lot of times I end up making pieces that reflect the person who ordered the commission. So I can put little bits of them in the piece as well. That's very, very cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to come back all to that because I do have some questions about that. Um, Where'd you grow up? Columbus, Georgia. So you are not the first guest from Columbus. We have uh, Sarah Hobbs Peck. Oh, really? Another artist from Columbus. So Columbus breeds artists, clearly. Very fine work. Yeah, she's a badass. Mm -hmm. Um, How was Columbus to grow up in? Um, In many ways, it was great. I uh, had a, a lot of freedom to run around it's a very outdoor childhood and when I was about seven we moved down the street from the Columbus Museum which has a lot to do with what we're talking about today and three houses down from Marge Tilly I don't know if you know who that is I don't know who that but is. she's a well-known Columbus artist oh that's she cool had a, a significant influence on my well let's talk about that I, I want to hear when art kind of first entered your life as a way that you recognize it connecting to now was that at the museum or is that? I would say both of those things were significant. Uh, the museum, I, honestly, it probably started as a place where mom would send us off for camps and, and day classes. And um, I remember I went to one of those. Right. And they were fantastic. I, I got a lot of really good instruction um, from some of the people through the Columbus Museum. Growing up throughout the years, um, I remember taking life drawing from Gary Pound. I don't know if you know who that so is. So I don't. So how old are you at this when you say like... like starting oh. at seven up through high school. Okay. So you kept mm-hmm. on... Did, so yeah. did you like it immediately? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I remember hating it. <laughs> I was, you know, I was always making messes and, you know, putting weird stuff together as a child. Okay. Yeah. And did you get feedback that made you think you had talent at this? Or what are you, are you just doing for fun? Or does that enter your head at all? Strangely, it was my brother who had been identified as the artist in the family. Okay. So he was really a perfectionist in many ways, which made him excellent draw, drawer, drawer. <laughs> Illustrator? Thank you. That's a much better word. Um, <laughs> And he was interested in architecture. And so um, he won a lot of kind of the elementary school art festival no competitions. Way. You know, and I might garner like a second or third place, but I was not identified as particularly gifted. Okay. But you enjoyed it a lot. Yes, loved it. Enough to keep on doing it. Yes. Uh, in high school, was this a, a something you worked on? Yes, I took art in high school. Um, I think I was, again, sort of overshadowed by the fact that I was dating a guy who was kind of artsy. And he, you know, got his pictures in the school magazine. and Who are you dating? 
We went to high school together. Put <laughs> <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> verification. Um, yeah. Rick Sargent. Oh, really? Yeah. I have no recollection of that. And he is now a medical illustrator. I was about to say he's yeah. still. I said we're Facebook friends, mm-hmm. and I see him post really yes. cool stuff on on uh, online. Draw South on Instagram. No kidding. All right, Rick Sargent, yeah. shout out. Yeah. Boom, draw south. <laughs> Uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so when you were looking at colleges, was art uh, something you were looking into? Was it a pro- well, you know important Again, to no, you? No, I, I was not considering that um, a possibility for a profession. I didn't until much later. I, I did end up with. I've always been interested in creative writing, right? As you might remember, but um, I do. And I did have a concentration in creative writing in college. So where did you go to school? SMU, Southern Methodist And how did you pick that one? That's a long story, but I'm happy to tell it. Um, I'm curious about your, can I, you know, just what's your decision-making process back in the day? There was no decision-making process back in the day. I never finished applying to college. Did you know this? No. Okay. I never applied anywhere for college. (laughs) What the fuck happened? I know, right? That would never (laughs) happen today, ever, ever. But, um... So back in the day, I was a scholarship student to the high school okay. that I went to, that we went to, and um, it was a college prep school, and they had, of course, never had someone not go to college. And here I was, a scholarship student who had not applied anywhere. So, but, but, so did you, is this intentional that you're not applying no, somewhere? I'm just lazy. And it just never occurred to me that I wouldn't go to college. I just thought, you know. Oh my God, that's amazing. And, and my parents were not terribly, you know, obviously... Um, not micromanagers, clearly. Yeah. They were just, and they did take me to see a couple schools. And my brother had we'd gone on the college trips with him, and um, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. I thought I wanted to go to Davidson. Okay, we went to Davidson, and I had an interview, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, we would love to have you figure out some sort of scholarship, something, something." And I was like, "Okay, done," but never <laughs> applied or responded back in any sort of way. So here we are. It's like I don't know maybe April, maybe May, and I don't have anywhere to go to Of school. your senior year? Yeah. Holy crap. Are you freaking out? <laughs> no. Everyone else <laughs> is freaking out for me. Oh my God. My friends are like, what? Where are you going? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, sh- you know. So my guidance counselor, who, you know, God bless him, Mr. Stafford, um, got made fun of by everybody on earth, but he did me a, a service. He... Um, SMU was calling him about the junior class, you know, who might be a good person, you know, who should we talk to you about coming here next year? And he was like, well, okay. I have a senior. It's <laughs> <laughs> Shelly. Um, and they were like, oh, okay. And they looked at my scores and they looked at my grades and they had me send them an essay that I'd already written. That was more or less about how awful I was, and um, yeah. and they gave me a scholarship. So, and teenager angst, mm-hmm. absolutely, it was so annoying. Yeah. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I cannot even imagine how much stress that must have been in the household. Uh, apparently not. I, don't, uh, I mean, no but one you, seemed it, to care. That's all right. That's fascinating to me. So SMU was it. <laughs> yeah. So I went out there. I remember driving out there, and I thought it was Southern Mississippi University. Shut up! Really. Mm-hmm. And we passed Mississippi, and I'm like, where are we going? Oh, my God. Really? Yes, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's amazing. Like, Dad, 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 Mississippi's right there. We, we missed it. <laughs> yes. It's in Texas, if you didn't know that. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in Dallas, right? Right. Oh, my gosh. Like a big city. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's amazing. What was, your, what was your SMU experience like? I loved it. If I had 
actively made a choice, I probably couldn't have made a better one. It was a smallish liberal arts school, beautiful campus, um, sort of insulated, but I managed to get out the bub- get outside the bubble pretty quickly. Okay. Um, what did you, did you, did you not, I mean, you, you assumed you were going to college. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you want to go to college? Yes. Okay. I did. And what did you think you wanted to do there? Well, mostly I just wanted to go farther away and try different things. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure, I, you know, still not exactly sure, you know, what I wanted to be when I grow up. That was, I think at that point when people were asking me that question, I probably said psychologist or psychiatrist. Okay. I think I remember saying that. Um, and I did. I had. I ended up with a um, two majors in uh, psychology and English, concentration in creative writing, and an economics minor. What were the creative writing classes like? Did you enjoy them? I did. I think that really exposed me to the real world of poetry. I mean, before then, I was. I didn't read other people's work. I just kind of, you know, wrote my teenagery stuff and um was happy with that yeah but college i had jack myers was my uh i don't know professor he was really the only poetry professor i remember there but um and he was also my advisor and he i don't know it was kind of this quintessential professory type looking guy um and had that very much the Socratic method. He was always questioning us and, and letting us talk into empty space and um, was fairly critical, but in a very mellow way. Came out slowly. Gentle criticism. Yes. Um, he always seemed a little bit high. <laughs> Maybe he was. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was great. I learned a lot from him. Can you think of anything specific like you learned, like by him kind of explaining another poem or... Was there a structural thing or, or was there light bulb moments like that or was it learning a process? It was more learning the editing process, being able to self-edit and, and step back a little bit and see what you thought was so important wasn't translating to the people who were reading your pieces. Oh, that's interesting. Was poetry a big part of your life at this point? Absolutely. And still is. I love poetry. Uh, what did you end up getting your degree in, in, the, in at the end? Like, what did you end up majoring in? Well, like I said, I, I got that creative writing concentration in my English major. Um, but the psychology major and then the economics minor, because dad wanted some business classes. Okay, so there's like yeah. three different degrees. Yeah, well, two degrees and one minor and one concentration. Whatever that <laughs> Probably just less work. Uh, what did you do after college? Are you, are, you, are you doing any art besides unless no. you are the narrowly defined art? So I've always done art. I always made stuff. Um, and I was very much, and it's sort of surprisingly in a way, since I wasn't taking art classes in college, I kind of found a way into the art scene in Dallas. How? Um, well, um, the museum on campus was amazing. They had, I don't remember if it was a permanent collection or not, but they had these El Greco paintings, which I don't know if you know who that is. But I do. Ooh, <laughs> um, you Spanish named the right artist. one. Yay. Um, with these fantastic skies, and they had a huge impact on me. And then I you know, went to the, the, uh, what was it, the Dallas Museum. I can't remember the name of it right now. But there was this big painting, I think it was by somebody named Church. 
and it was an iceberg, just a big hunk of ice, but it had so much color in that painting, and I remember staring at that painting forever. Oh, cool. But I think through the poetry scene, I got kind of latched into the local art scene, sort of the underground, you know, pop-up displays before pop-up shows were kind of a thing like they are now. Um, And I would go with a bunch of random people who I may or may not have known and see these sort of avant-garde displays. Cool. Are you still uh, friends with people from college? Not many. A few, mostly with the girls that were in my freshman dorm. Um. One of the guys from my freshman dorm, a couple of sorority sisters. What did you do after college? I went to grad school for gerontological social work. So where did that, where did that idea come from? Well, that was kind of the offshoot of the psychology degree that I got. And I sort of realized um, I didn't want to go to med school and become a psychiatrist. And I really loved the counseling idea of psychology and I thought social work would give me a way to make more of a difference um just starting to think politically and getting nudged by my conscience to do more stuff in the world and social work seemed to fit right into that what does a social work degree look like in this case well It wasn't what I thought, I'll tell you that. Um, So I was going for an MSW, and it kind of just gives you the qualifications. You can be a counselor, but most of the time you end up working in a government agency or in a nonprofit um, in some sort of outreach capacity. I mean, it's a really hard job. You get no money, and it was, for me especially being in the gerontology area, it was emotionally exhausting. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I mean, yeah. I have my preconceived notions of what would be exhausting about it, but, you know. Well, I mean, one of the hard parts about working in gerontology, which is with older people, they die all the time, yeah. right? Um, so you get attached to somebody, and you, you feel like you're actively helping somebody, and then you come back the next Tuesday, and they're gone. And nobody's told you, you know, because they're, Everybody there is overworked, underpaid, and you show up and, you know, they're not there anymore. What were you there to do, like, with the people? Like, what are you doing? Well, at that point, I was a student, so a lot of the stuff that I was doing, um, scheduling, um, arts and crafts, uh, helping them kind of document their lives, whether it's just their bills and their receipts, or kind of writing down some of their stories, which I loved that part of it too. Um, several different little projects like that. Did they train you at all to talk about, like, or was it brought up that, you know, hey, we're working with, you know, older people and they are sick and they're going to pass? Was that something I mean, they prepared you, know, you for? Or? It comes up in the interview, you know, <clears throat> this is hard. Um, but I as guess were there tools and tricks or tactics to, to help I with that? I stayed in that. And, and it become my full-time career, you know, they always encourage you that you're in some sort of um, professional caring relationship, that you go to counseling, that you have support. Um, but as a student and on, you know, the budget that I had that, that and the health care that I had, that was not... Not going to happen. Yeah, that was not an option. How long is that program? Um, I didn't finish it. Shocker. Um, but <laughs> Why do you say Shocker. <laughs> 
but you know, like I, as you talk to me today, you'll figure out I don't stay in things long, but um, I don't know. I just, also, I just didn't have the school that I was in. They, for whatever reason, didn't want me in the gerontology department. Um, even some of the professors were pushing me towards, it was almost like they felt like old people were a waste of time. And that was kind of what I was there to fight in the first place. Holy shit. And if they weren't with me, then I, you know. um, Is that why you decided not to finish? Well, that, there was just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'd moved to uh, St. Louis and there were a lot of things I really loved about St. Louis, but I I felt really alone in St. Louis. Um, you know, I had been dating a guy and I thought that he was going to move there with me. And then we broke up before I ended up there. Oh, wow. Um, so that was one thing. And then I took a part-time job working on a bar at night and, um, and I found I I was spending more time at the bar than any of my school activities. and, And that ended up being kind of a problem. Um, so, that was a large part of why I didn't finish that degree. I gotcha. Where did you go after that? Um, I went home and recouped for a few months. Got a little cottage out on a plantation outside of Columbus, Georgia. Yeah, big old white plantation house. Yeah. Like really? Real. Mm-hmm. And I holed up in there for a few months and kind of collected my wits and then went out and got another job. Do you remember what kind of self-care kind of things you were doing to kind of get you through it? I slept a lot. I learned how to cook better, I think. (laughs) Um, They had horses, and I would go out and hang out with the horses and rub down the horses. Um, She had beautiful grounds, as you could imagine. And I think that was one of the places where I got interested in horticulture stuff. Were you as low as I I'm thinking you were at this point no, or no? No, I make it sound pretty dire, but no, I was just kind of like, whoo, well, that's, that's shot. <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> do I have any skills? Poetry? Not, no. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, I had to write up a resume and figure out a few things. And if I wasn't going to be in St. Louis, where was I going to be? Was I going to stay in Columbus? Was I going to move to Atlanta? Just had some choices to make. So how did you go about like approaching these choices? Mm, well, I, you might get the sense, but I'm not a huge planner. Um, so some of it was, I just kind of tapped on some resources that I had. You know, I, I did apply for some jobs in my hometown in Columbus. Um, thinking well that you know that's an easy option but i one of the big industries there is banking and i'm pretty sure that wasn't going to be what i was going to do although i did apply for one of those jobs and had worked there as an intern in high school so i thought you know could probably right. do this could pay but some my bills. heart wasn't in it um and i guess they knew that because i didn't get that job and um i don't know piddled around Back then, I mean, like you still looked at ads in the newspaper and yeah, and because um, you're what twenty three, twenty four, yeah, ish, yeah. Like that. But I ended up, I took a temp job up in Atlanta, and that turned into a permanent job. Okay, and what what is so what industry is this in now? So now I'm in specialty underwriting insurance. Okay. Yes. 
So I don't really know what that means. (laughs) So, um, so you've probably heard of Lloyd's of London. I have indeed. Okay. So it's the same idea. It's a little less sexy. Like instead of insuring Christy Brinkley's legs or something, um, (laughs) we're insuring CEOs or, um, one of our big lines was ambulances, which I had never thought about it, but you know, they have, their own special insurance because they have to drive recklessly and fast to get people to the hospital. And a lot of times they get in accidents and they are private companies. They're not owned by the hospitals. And so they need special insurance. I gotcha. So what are you, what are you doing for this company? IT. Okay. Yes. Now we've got poetry. We've got (laughs) some art. We've got some social work. Uh I don't hear a whole lot of uh, science and coding and math and all that kind of stuff. I was, I've always been kind of a logical person. I've always tested well in logic, and um, it turned out that I, well, I started off with the help desk, and then I did network administration, and then I did actual coding. So you're learning this as you go yes, along? They're teaching the you, or are you going? A little bit of both. Is it formal, or is it kind of, hey, pick this up? It's mostly, hey, pick this up. Um, There's a little bit of classes. They sent me to a couple of, like, visual basic classes. Because I'd had no coding background. So how did you find this job? It was just, I started off as a tech random. job as the help desk person. Yeah. Actually, okay. I think I started technically as someone's assistant. Yeah. The assistant to the VP of IT. And they just keep, kept on moving on. Right. And how long did you do IT work? And what, what was it like? Well, I loved um, the problem solving part of it. Absolutely. So like if something didn't work and I had to get in there and figure out what it was, uh, I loved that part of it. Okay. And, um, you know, I liked the people part of it. This is kind of the first time I'd been in a corporate office kind of environment, and I found that really interesting people watching. I believe you. Yeah. Um, learned a lot. And then, I don't know, I, I, liked, I liked IT. It made sense to me. Now, what are you, again, uh, you're saying, you know, art's always been a part of your life. What are you, are you doing anything actively? So this is like my young twenties. So I am making stuff for myself. I'm I'm designing light fixtures and building tables and painting art for my own house and painting things for friends, buying art supplies when I have extra money, that kind of thing. But I'm not marketing anything. Okay. Uh, And how long did you uh, do this? Seven years. Yeah. And what made you leave? Well, um. Late in that game, I got, there were a couple things, really. One was I got diagnosed with cancer when I was 26. And that kind of scared me enough to reassess a few things. And one of the things that I decided I wanted to do was go back to school for poetry. Um, I got a big bonus from my corporate job, and I used that bonus to go get an MFA in poetry at night, mostly, and then when it got too hard to get classes I needed to graduate, then I quit the IT job and went to school full-time and started teaching classes at Georgia State and Spelman. Okay, so before we get there, do you, do you, is it okay if we talk about the cancer? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So will you tell now. us, what's that? It was a long time ago now. God, it really, it it really was. was. <clears throat> Stupid age. <laughs> um, so how did, tell me about the diagnosis. How did you find out uh, what was the diagnosis? What kind of cancer was it? Um, well, this will give you an idea of how old we are. But um, 
it was right around the time of Y2K. And despite my IT job, I was able to get the night off to celebrate Y2K. And there were a ton of pictures that somebody took from the party that I went to. And one of them, I had my head turned in a certain way and kind of like my chin jutted out. And you could see this bulbous thing on the side of my neck, which I had not, honestly not paid much attention to. I, I don't know. Maybe I thought everyone had one. But... Um, my boyfriend at the time was like, you know, you might want to get that checked out. So I did. And um, at first the guy thought it was a cyst, but then it became pretty clear it wasn't. And it was a unusual type of cancer, especially for a 26-year-old non-smoker person. But it was called adenoid cystic carcinoma. It might have a new name now. They keep renaming things. But sort of unusual um, tends to start in the glands. It travels weirdly along the nerves. And a lot of times it ends up in your lungs. It's slow growing, mostly. Um, but it kind of never seems to go away. So um, at that point, since it was kind of like right underneath my jaw and my ear over there on that side, the concern was that it had already gotten into my facial nerve on that side because I was having some issues with that and um so my real concern was when they had to take it out that they were gonna have to cut that facial nerve completely and i'd be paralyzed on that side of my face so you know that 26, would I'm vain. freak anyone out right i don't want to spend the rest of my life you know sort of looking funny so which i'd be alive but i would look funny right um but that was not they were able to take it out without that and uh had some radiation and some other stuff and it's been a while getting checked out regularly but I really don't do that anymore I seem to be one of the lucky ones do you remember a little bit of your mindset going in with treatment I did um, and this is kind of what I was saying it, it caused me to reassess a few things I remember that as a strangely happy time so it obviously yes there were moments when I was freaked out mostly when they called me well actually I called them and the random nurse was like oh no that's cancer I was like, oh, sh- <laughs> that was the worst moment. Um, oh, just yeah. the way they told me was so sort of abrasive. Um, but my whole family and I went out to MD Anderson and I, we had the best time. I think it just frees you up to laugh. Um, you're so kind of anxious and scared. And the way we handled it was we just almost peed our pants. We laughed so much on that trip. Um, and I remember getting off work one day and just being like, I'm taking a cancer day <laughs> <laughs> and laying in my front yard and, you know, picking at weeds and looking at the sky and being like, you know, I need to do more of this. Oh, wow. And it, I, it changed me. Like I was in that corporate environment wearing Brooks Brothers suits, you know, plush carpet lifestyle. And um, I, I decided, you know, that wasn't anything I needed. And I wanted more of those laying in the weedy grass and doing a lot of nothing and thinking about stuff. Right. Uh, what is grad school like in poetry? <laughs> I, I thought it was awesome. Um, it was a lot of workshops because this was an MFA instead of like an academic degree where you're learning about what other people have written. So you're learning to do it. Yes, exactly. So what a studio degree. Will you explain the workshop process? Everybody handled it a little bit differently, but um, for the most part, 
everybody brings in three or four poems um, and it's either like you bring in copies and pass them around or the instructor does like a packet with their comments already on there which I didn't particularly like that method um, and the other people in the class do most of the commentary um, and sometimes the instructor steps in but it's, it's just very communal uh, you know sometimes it was super painful I remember we had one visiting poet who came in and led a workshop and he was just brutal total dick but generally people are kind okay um what did you what did you learn uh, a lot of the same kind of stuff that i was talking about that i learned um in undergrad but kind of times four um the power of words which is something i've always liked it's i worried about this conversation with you today because i i tend to be one of those people that talks much better with my hands in that I feel like I communicate better in writing or by painting than I do with my mouth. And uh, the workshop was just reinforcement of that. Um, really? There were so many things that I felt unable to express with my mouth that the line from my brain to my hand could do so much better. Oh, and that's fascinating. Kind of being able to tap into that. What were your strengths as a poet? Would I think it, or what are they? As being a poet, being surprising, you know, finding that surprising word that's kind of draws something different into the conversation, that uh, a strange little juxtaposition that immediately makes sense, even though you never would have thought of it, that's what I love. Uh, that's cool. Which is kind of what I do in art, too, I think, I hope. What, uh, what were your weaknesses as a poet? Or as a poet? Like, what, were you... Being a little sappy, like I had to write out, you know, I still had those little angsty things that I felt like were important that I had to excise. So when you finally quit the job and, and went to do this full time, what were your expectations for afterwards? Or did you have any at the moment? I kind of thought maybe I would teach at the college level. Did um, you enjoy your, the teaching you did? I did. I really did. Um kind of what was jarring is you get students that were smarter than you were and you're like, oh, well, hey, you just, <laughs> you just sit over there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved, I, I loved teaching grammar. Um, I loved teaching the freshman classes, which, you know, everybody abhors. But I, I you know, I like that sort of basic being able to communicate, um, showing other people your ideas in a way that they can understand. I just think that's so important. What were the biggest grammar mistakes you saw? Or what, is there anything that drives you nuts after oh, having taught it? everything drives me nuts. But, um, you know, the, I, there were some very basic things like um, subject-verb agreement. Um, but I remember I had a rampage over what I called fluffy writing where people were trying to make themselves sound really smart by using big words that weren't the best word. I'm like, if you want people to think you're smart, first of all, listen to them and then make your point clearly and concisely. That's it. Yeah, it's, uh, my mind immediately went to like your artist statement and artist statements that I've tried to write and other people's artist statements where you really does feel like it's the biggest word, you know, and yeah. the most... Oh. ethereal and fluffy prose you know you could it ever possibly have nothing it means nothing it, it means me crazy. Jack shit. yeah yeah 
So there. So right, now yeah. I have to go rewrite my bio. <laughs> no, yours was pretty good. <laughs> but I just remember reading your artist statement and thinking the, the last artist statement that I had to write and just how awful and miserable that is. Yeah. And really I'm not is. sure why we still continue to make people do this. I think it's just to weed out the idiots. I don't know if it's working. <laughs> um, okay, so you, you, you get your grad degree. You are now MFA in creative writing poetry. Right. You're in Atlanta? Yes. What's next? Uh, then I start having babies. All right. Yeah, yeah. Did you get married? I did. So traditional. I know. I really was. Um, so how did, how did having children change your art? Did it change how it changed you? Oh, that's the hardest thing I've ever done is have kids. Um, I, I, I kind of have to say um, my first baby was not entirely planned. Um, and I struggled with having a child. I, I had, you talk about being low. I was low. I was, had um, a lot of that uh, postnatal depression. And it was really a hard time for me to kind of put everything that I had on hold to make sure this thing is fed, bathed, and sleeps. And that, that me as a person got whittled down to that. And that was hard. How did you end up coping with that? Did you talk to people? Were there books that helped? Oh, well, I had a massive breakdown one day where um, at this point, Josh was commuting down to Buckhead, I think, to work. And I called him. I was like, I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. You need to come home. And so he had to leave work and come take the baby and was like, take a shower and go somewhere. And um, so I did, and I went to this this restaurant around the corner where I, that I'd never been to, uh, but seemed nice. <laughs> and I walk in the door, and you know I'd been crying, so I'm sure my face was all puffy and whatever. And the the hostess, who was a woman, you know, maybe five years older than I was, saw me and was like, "Oh, honey, what's wrong?" Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, she was an angel. I'm cry talking about it. <laughs> But she um, sat me down and listened to me and bought me a glass of wine and a slice of pie and walked me through it. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep, stranger love. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think, I, I never saw her again. I, she gave me her number, which I never used, but she was like, in, you need to take breaks like this and make your husband let you get out of the house, take some walks, um, connect with your friends. Um, and if you need to, put the baby down and, and walk away for a minute. It's okay. She was great. Isn't it amazing when, like, just somebody random and, you know, imparts mm-hmm. that kind of, like, critical yep. difference in your life? Yep. She might have saved my life. What did you change about yourself moving forward well I reconnected with some of my poetry friends and we started doing our own little workshop um, it didn't, that was tough because they were kind of not in the same place and uh, it was hard for me to you know, like get in the car and, and drive to Decatur for a workshop at that point we lived in Marietta and, um, and so that was kind of tough and they didn't need it as much as I did uh, but I, I did that. I got that going. I found some mom friends. 
randomly. Um, and I started going to the gym, which also ended up kind of saving my life. I think the, I needed those endorphins. I needed to feel like myself again. And I found a good group of mom friends there. Let's talk about that a little bit because that's another a phase of Shelly, I yes, would say. Yes, it like, it It's just pitiful. There's so many. It, it's but. not pitiful. It's <laughs> fucking great. I love it. Um, let's talk about let's talk about that. Okay. So I started going to this gym and it was a women's gym, uh, which was, I don't know, something I'd never considered before. I'd always gone to kind of like Gold's Gym kind of places. Um, and this place was kind of around the corner, recommended by a friend, and I ended up there. And they had uh, what they call group fitness classes where, you know, they're really cheesy, fun music, everybody's screaming, um, doing exercise together kind of classes. And apparently that's what I needed at that time in my life. And so I got really into it um, and started taking them and then I started teaching them. And I don't know, it was, it was really great for a while, just kind of being physical. Now, I know that you're probably continuing to do like art for yourself at this point still, because I know yes. I've asked that and the answer yeah. is always yes. I know, yes. going to bring this in. <laughs> so. um, yes, and strangely enough, they, the women at that gym were the ones who really encouraged me to market my work. So that was the turning point was some, so it had like this little like coffee area at the gym where we would all get together after we worked out and, you know, gossip and whatnot. And I had... I'd always had this habit slash need, desire. I don't want stuff for my birthday or whatever. I want to go away by myself, completely by myself for a couple of days once a year. Nobody call me. Nobody talk to me. I call it my, you know, um, fortress of solitude time. I love this, by the way. <laughs> I love that you do that. It's my favorite thing. And it's it's so necessary in my life. So I would have these these times away. And they were like, well, what do you do? Uh, you know, the extroverts in the group were like, that sounds horrible. But, um, and I would say, well, I paint. And they're like, oh, you paint? I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, I paint and I do stuff. And they're like, well, let me see. So I would have some pictures on my phone or whatever I had at that point, technologically. Um, and they were like, oh, my gosh. You you paint. I'm like, oh, well, I, thanks. <laughs> like, oh, these are good. <laughs> so um, there was a little festival that they did at the gym for the holidays where people would bring in their wares and set up a table and take cash and they were like you should do that and that that was the start do you remember how much your first painting sold for i was like 45 dollars maybe 25 i mean like yeah did you recognize that as a thing like did you know that oh this is a moment no 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 I worked really hard to get ready for that thing, though. But that was like, I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> this is a lot of work. Yeah. This better be worth it. And was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, did the work going into, like, doing this show, did it, um, did it impede the, the joy at all from the creation? No. No. And that was, I think, a surprise to me. Uh, because I do kind of quit things easily if they're hard in a way that I don't like. And... That didn't bother me with this, which is the gift of art for me. So how soon, or how, how not soon, as the case may be, from this show did you decide, if it was an active decision, to be, all right, I'm going to concentrate on, I'm going to see where this art takes me? Well, I mean, it, that, it was a 
that part was a pretty long process. Um, at that point where I was making things, I had this unfinished room in the basement with one light bulb hanging from the ceiling that I shared with the lawnmower and the extra trash can kind of place. And I would drag in a lamp on an extension cord from another room and set things up on boxes and paint in there. So it was, you know, again, effort. And I had small kids, you know, babies. Um, but this was the first time where I had a place where I could make a mess and close the door and it was, wasn't a danger to them. Uh, and that was a gift. And in a way, a kind of beginning that allowed me to entertain the idea of really doing this thing. Okay. So I want to fast forward a little bit yeah. to today and you can feed us back on backstory if we need it for it to make sense. Can you give me, um, I want, would love a typical work day for you during the school year and then maybe how that changes in the summer, if any. Um, okay. What's the studio day for Shelly? So my studio is in my house, which I'm really lucky that I can do that. So, and I think that's the only way I can do this. A lot of people like to travel to their studio to keep it separate from their life, but mine is deeply intertwined. So I still have relatively youngish children, uh, 10 and 13. So, <clears throat> um, and during the school year, getting them up, getting them to the bus, driving them to school, and then say like, depending on their schedules, 9.30, I'm free. So 9.30 to 3-ish, that's, that's when I work. So work doesn't always mean painting. Um, work a lot of times means following up emails from people who might be interested in a commission or just have questions or interested in me teaching a painting class somewhere or volunteering some time. Uh, might be catching up on inventory, which is, you know, where did I put that painting? Which gallery is it in? Uh, what did I price it? This all needs to be recorded somewhere because it's, um, <laughs> you lose track. I mean, you know, I'm not terribly organized. I need to have these things somewhere. Do you use like a spreadsheet? Uh, what, how, do you, how do you keep track of this? I, at this point, I've kind of graduated from spreadsheets to an actual software made for artists that help you with some of this stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you divide your days into like, Okay, this is Tuesday. This is going to be an administrative day. I'm not going to be creating today. Or how do you how do you separate? Yes, those I kind functions? of do. Tell me um, all about a that. A lot of times there are days where I'm doing home visits for commissions, or meeting a gallerist, or just you know talking with other artists. Like we have like a, a brunch with several artists or something like that. And I try and get those all on the same day, so I can you know look good for that whole day. <laughs> 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 one shower, one outfit, you know. Because, you know, generally all my clothes have paint on them. And, and yeah. anyway, um, it's not really my thing. So I kind of try and gather those together so that I have the outward presentation days. And then a lot of times it works out that there's a day where I spend all day on the computer doing things, um, doing those emails, doing the inventory, sending out applications to galleries or shows or following up. It takes a lot of time to kind of put together applications, especially if, I mean, you have to research what the gallery is like, what they want in their packet, and maybe they have different requirements for the pictures. Maybe they want a new bio or something written especially for them or a CV in a special 
uh, format, you know, they all, it all takes time. So, and I want to come back to that, but also mm-hmm. I want to talk about, uh, I want to stay with your daily routine yep. for just a little bit. So let's say it's the night, like when do you decide what you're going to work on the next day or is it, do you plan the week? Do you, how I don't you? plan that much. I, a lot of times I walk down in the studio with a cup of coffee and most of the time I have several projects going on at the same time. And by projects, you're talking about the creative output projects? Yes. Okay. Um, so I might have a mixed media piece on canvas that I'm working on at the same time that I sort of have an encaustic series in my head. Um, maybe a piece that's just doesn't really have a plan that's still up on the wall. And then maybe I have an oil landscape that I've got on the other easel. Okay. And it kind of, I come down in the studio and whatever hits me as, Oh, I know what to do to that piece. Then that's the one I go and work on. Okay. Uh what if do you have any routines you do to kind of try to be open or is this is this separate from just your general openness in life mm. do you have any rituals that you do before you start to work i mean i this comes back from my um teaching fitness classes and teaching yoga and stuff i you know a deep breath and kind of like coming down and being centered for a second is the best thing and occasionally, if if I'm not feeling anything, I'll sit down and read something. Um, but breathing almost always does the trick. Are you gentle with yourself when you don't feel like working on it? Yes. Yeah, I've learned, had to learn many, many times, um, if you force it, you fuck it up. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you decide... How do you decide uh, not which project to choose from, but how does a project make it into the from the theory stage to the actual I'm working on it stage? Does that make sense? Is that yes. even the right words to use? Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, if it stays in the theory stage too long, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I have to, when it's in my head and it's kind of bumping around in there, it's better for me to get it down somehow either if it's making a sketch or making a little color study or even just talking to somebody about it, it's better to go ahead and jump into it somehow. And if I think about it too long, I almost always think myself out of it. It's better to just start doing it. Oh, that's interesting. Do you keep a journal the, with you? Like when you like, no, dedicated it's more for scraps this, of paper all over the place. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right, so it's nine thirty. You've come down with your coffee. You're going to work on a piece. Mm-hmm. Do you work straight through? Do you give yourself breaks? Do you will you work on just one thing that one day? If it's the day you're creating, um, I don't always work on the one thing that one day. But I mean, sometimes I do. Sometimes things are going, and I love it, and it's flowing, and I will work from nine thirty to three, and not eat, and not pee, and you know all day and just be like, Oh my God, I got to go pick up the kid and have forgotten. Some days are like that. Some are those day- good day? Is that oh, the best day? That's day. the best. Love right? that. Yeah, okay. absolutely. It's the best day. Um, and you kind of snap out of it and you're like, oh, I'm starving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. And then other days you, I flit from piece to piece and kind of, you know, tidbit here and a touch there and, you know, I turn the warming plate on and I turn it off and then I turn it back on and then I turn it off and then I step away and I do a smudge and, and it's just 
a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And those can be fun, too. It's just a different kind of dance. Uh, your husband works from home as well, correct? Yes. What kind of conversations did y'all have, or what kind of, or do you have ground rules, or like, well, how do you, how do y'all manage that process um, in that situation? We do not bother each other at all. So, the last house we actually put a sound barrier between our workspaces because we were <laughs> on the same floor. And I, you know, if I want to play music, which I really don't do that often, but when I do, it's loud. Um, and he's on a call with you know people who may or may not have really strong accents and he can't understand them on a good day. And if I'm messing him up, then he, you know, he needs help. So we would irritate each other. And then there's also kind of like, you know, we both have this where you're having a moment in your work day and you want to talk about what's happening. We've had to tell each other, don't come talk to me. I love you. I'm interested in what you do. <laughs> right. But do not come interrupt my work to talk about your work. We, well, you can text me and see if I want a lunch date. And we can talk after five. But don't come into my workspace. So I don't go into his office. And he does not come to the studio. That sounds perfect. It's all about boundaries. <laughs> it is all about boundaries. Um do you talk about your work with your family, with your kids, with your husband? Yes. Is that so last night, helpful? I was kind of down here. Mess- I was prepping that canvas that's taped up to the wall. Um, I'm going to stretch it and put another layer on it before I start working on it. And um, so that's kind of like, that's something I would do at night because it doesn't really require mental energy. It's just physical activity. And so both kids are down here while I'm doing that, you know, talking about stuff, which is great. I love it. One's curled up in the papazon and the other one's down on the carpet doing her nails and we're just messing around. Just having family chit chat. We talk, you know, they'll be like, ooh, I don't like that one. Or, ooh, how'd you do this one, mom? Or what are you going to do with that? Um, is that oil? And they're, you know, they're interested in the different materials and there's a, a corner of supplies back in the shelving that's got their stuff you know, canvas boards and glue guns and their papers and stuff we've bought for them. And occasionally they'll come down here and make stuff too. Uh, when, uh, and occasionally when I've been in museums, there have been art students who will bring their sketch pad and they'll start, they'll be kind of copying masterworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have, what do you do to, for either inspiration or to, or to get better or to do, is that any kind of part of, Oh, absolutely. What you do, and can you talk, talk a little bit I about that? I still take classes, um, and then the the museum in Marietta, they have um, live models, and I'll go and sketch occasionally, and there's really nothing better than that to kind of keep your skills fresh. Um, I used to do some portrait work, but that's not my favorite, so I don't do that anymore. But that was, and part of it was because it was just I was never happy uh, I could always do one more stroke and so it took forever I never got the portraits to the people uh, it would stay in my studio for like eight months until I was absolutely sick of it and I would give it to it more the, give it to them more because I was sick of it than because I thought it was finished oh interesting and so, that was not right <laughs> <laughs> so with, with your work now I know I mean most of what I see are, are abstract-ish yes. would, you, would you agree with that yeah yeah uh, what draws you to that? What do you enjoy about that? I love the layers. 
And so much of my work, even if it is abstract, it's kind of like how the light filters down through things. So if you look outside the windows of the last two houses I've had, like the light filtering down through the leaves is a large part of what I'm surrounded by. And the last house had a lot of water. And here I'm really close to the river. And those things are just really important to my, what I want to express artistically. So there's a lot of that in there. Um, and then just like, I think it's the same thing as poetry, as you're looking to express things that you haven't quite figured out, or that's what I'm doing, and abstract's the best way for me to do that. How do you want your work to be received? I want people to initially walk up and go, ooh, that's pretty, and then go, oh, that's cool, and then look a little closer and want to touch it. That's pretty cool. Um, let's shift gears a little bit to the business side of it. Mm-hmm. So, what did you what what mistakes have you made <laughs> <laughs> that you can prevent somebody else from making uh, who might have you know um, the desire to you know ramp up their what may be uh, something they do for themselves into something they do for themselves and others? Okay, um, so many mistakes. <laughs> I think one that's important is don't partner up with somebody, whether it's a gallery or a group or something uh, that doesn't make you feel good about you and what you make. Even if it's like a big name person or corporation, if you walk out of a meeting or a coffee and you feel icky, then that's, it's not going to be a help to you in any way, even if they sell your stuff. Um, and I mean, kind of, we're all weirdos and you want to kind of like find a weirdo that, that matches your weirdo-ness in a balancing, growing kind of way. And there's so many of us out there. There's no need to waste time on, on mean ones. And you're, are you referring to specific like gallery owners or fellow artists? To- Both. I mean, all. Because it's, it's, it's a large group of people when you get down and start talking to people, whether it's just somebody who wants to be an artist and likes taking your classes, or whether it's a gallery owner that's been doing it for 30 years. You can find a gallery owner that's been doing it for 30 years who is still gracious and kind, and even if they turn you down, they do it with you know, two positives and one negative, you know? right. There's certainly a lot, at least in the acting community, of um, this feeling when you're first starting out that if you don't, um, it's just very easy to compromise yourself and be like, oh, this is going to be worth it in the long run, even though the process might be uh, completely horrible. Right. Uh, in my experience, that really hadn't been the case. Like, things that are horrible are just horrible. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, that, I think that's where you come out on the actor thing too. Like, oh, I'm never doing that again. That was, that wasn't worth it. Always the connections, I guess. But e- but even in those kind of like horrible instances, uh, you know, I met like three awful people and one nice person. I'm like, eh. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about pricing. What, what's the what's the painter gallery relationship like? How does that? That's still we mentioned really the applications. Hard for me. Yeah. What, what have you learned on that front? 
Pricing is still difficult for me. A lot of the work that I do is, is commissions. Um, and oftentimes those are like friends of somebody who knows me through some process, either they're somebody who's had a commission with me before or like friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing. Um, and so my sense, I always want to kind of give them a deal, <laughs> which, you know, is probably not terribly smart, but that's like my, my impulse is be like, Oh, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'll give you a little bit off the corners, but I, you can't do that and still kind of keep your head above water. I mean, materials are really, really expensive. Um, and if you're working with any galleries, you can't undercut the galleries or they'll stop selling your stuff. So you, you have to keep everything pretty even. But the galleries, they take, you know, a pretty significant cut. If it's a good gallery, they're spending a lot of money on wherever they're paying rent and the people they're paying to work there and all their marketing expenses. And so they have a lot more overhead um, so it's, you know, is it industry standard or is it negotiable or how does that work? It's fairly negotiable, but some of you know, like a, an established place, it's going to be pretty understood. There's not much negotiation, but if okay. it's a younger gallery or if it's a, um, a lot of the online sales seem to be done through, uh, collaborations, of, of artists and, and marketing groups, and those can be negotiable. Small galleries can be negotiable. And a large gallery, though, is like the, is it 50% the standards, or 40% yeah, or something like that? Mm -hmm. what, uh, are you involved in any of the online kind of uh, groups and marketing like that? No, but I want to be. I think that's, that's kind of what I'm pursuing next. There are several good ones, um, and I think people have, it's kind of been around long enough where people are like, oh, I've got a vision for this, and there's some really good ones out there. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the application process for the uh, before the galleries. Like I said, because you talked about, you know, your day might be spent tailoring mm -hmm. some, you know, what you're doing towards them. Well, different How does one shows and different galleries ask for different things. So, you know, one place might want three to four pictures, you know, which is very tight. Other people are like, send us, oh, I don't know, 15 pictures. And you're like, really? You know, but then they need to be re low resolution. So no more than this. And... Um, then spend a little time telling us about what inspires you. You know, so they have their own questions or somebody just asks for a standard um, bio, but no more than this many words. So they all have their own requirements. And so almost every application, you end up putting it together from scratch. What's the best question and what's the worst question you've been asked when somebody's approaching you about your work? It doesn't have to be the best, which yeah. is one that stands out in, the, the, in, in the both directions. The question I hate is how long have you been doing this? Because I don't know how to answer what is doing this. Does that mean this particular type of art? Does this mean selling art? Does that mean making things? Does that mean seeing myself as an artist, like with a capital A kind of thing? Like, I don't know what that means. That question, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, I wonder what, well, I wonder what they're trying to find out or if it's just... It's a question people just ask because people ask that question. Yeah, I think it's because they don't. I don't know. Yeah. I knew I would be able to answer that question. <laughs> How do you answer the question? I usually say, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. How long have you been doing this? Why are you asking me that? Um, what, any, any, any in the other direction where you're like, oh, well, that's really a great question. Like, I'm, that actually you know, helps illuminate something in myself. Or have you had that? I like, I had somebody ask me 
why? Why was I drawn to encaustic work? And I liked that because I I'd kind of not really thought about it much before then. Um, You're going to tell us your answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I gave a great answer because I hadn't thought about it before, but it has a connection to history and earth that I love, that it's so old as an art form. You know, like, like Cleopatra's death portrait was encaustic. Um, Greek That's murals cool. were encaustic. You know, it, it's old and it lasts and it's natural. Like it is beeswax and tree resin and rust or whatever I put in it. Right. <laughs> um, and I love that. It smells good. It feels good to make it. Like there's nothing better than a rainy, cold ass day and you got like a big pot of melted beeswax. Smells good. Feels yeah. good. And, um, and it's kind of meditative in the actual motion of it. So, you, you know, you paint, you brush, and then you fire and then it moves on its own. And then you brush and you fire. And it does its thing. And you, it's unexpected. You don't, it's really hard to predict exactly what it's going to do. With experience, you kind of know different colors move different ways. And, you know, this oil stick, you know, is really opaque. And, and this color is really translucent. But still, when you kind of get it all on there, you don't always know what's going to happen. And I like that. How do you know when it's done? Oh, God. Um, I, I try and step away right before it's done. <laughs> yeah, really? Yes, because it, it's easy to overwork things. Um, and classic's a little better because you can physically take off layers that you hate, which does a whole different thing, which is really neat. But Because um, when you remelt it, it behaves differently again. But... I try to stop before I think I should stop and take a break. Oh, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you leave a piece for like hours, minutes, days and like come back to it and not look at it? And oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if I have a piece that, you know, never sold, never quite sat with me, I will absolutely go back to a year old piece and rework it. Uh, tell me a little about social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd imagine for a visual artist that would be important. Yes. For marketing, uh-huh. how have you? Were you? Are you savvy with that, or were you savvy uh, with that, and became more savvy? Or I think I'm still becoming more savvy. It's 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 um kind of a moving target. I think. Uh, I mean, Instagram was a huge market, and even Instagram has changed in this past year as far as how they let smaller businesses be seen. Um, their algorithms have changed and, and how they want you to pay them for more visibility has changed. Um, what have you found to be successful? I think it's more letting people see you a little bit rather than just kind of posting your work and here's the size and price and what you made it out of letting people in on the difficulties of the process and the humor and doing what you do and um, 
when you sort of triumph over frustration or just really enjoy a day in the studio with something, I, I think that's kind of the key. Uh, you're also teaching again, correct? Yes. Tell me about the workshops. Tell me what you're doing. What's the goal there? What process, what part of the process do you enjoy with that? Well, um, so we recently moved into this uh, house that's new to us, and it's got a much larger studio space, which I've outfitted with a bunch of lights and windows and doors and stuff to try and make it um, welcoming to more people, because my last studio space was big enough for me, but not for a second person. So... I, since there's so many people who, when I explain what I do <laughs> and tell them what encaustic is, they would be like, oh, I'd like to try that. I have now kind of bought all the things so that people come, can come and try that. So, and I've always enjoyed teaching, obviously, even back into the days when I did different things. And I've taught different workshops throughout the years, mostly mixed media type stuff, but I'm excited, especially right now, about being able to teach the encaustic process because it's so different for every single person, and I love that. How is it different for every single person? Everybody approaches it differently. Um, so there are lots of different ways to do encaustic. You know, like I said, I color the actual beeswax and use that primarily. But you can mix it in with oil sticks and even oil paints and then they have like these already tinted cakes of pigment that you can use which are much stronger colors uh, and then you can do little pan pastels over the top or you can embed different fabrics or threads or yarns and photos make it photo encaustic and everybody kind of has their own different angle to take that they get inspired by different things so I had two ladies come in here the other day one of them made a piece that was red and orange and had like these sort of Asian inspired floral fabrics. Beautiful, very, um, very strong and bright. And then the other lady made lavender and silver and touches of aqua with these silver threads throughout. I mean, just totally, completely different. There are three of us in the studio. I'm teaching them the same steps the same materials, I gave them all the same options, and you could not have had two more different results. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, how do you get better? Practice, like just anything else. It's Like I said, you don't always know how it's going to go, but practice gives you the chance to predict it a little bit better. I gotcha. Uh, so what do you want for your this... And I, I always have trouble as an artist or a business, but what do you want for this process, say, like in five or ten years? Do you see yourself still doing this? Is there, yeah, I see myself is there a level that. that you want to get to? Or do you, do you, is it even, again, is that even the right nomenclature? Uh, yes and no. Like, I, it's not like I'm looking for sales at a particular number. It's more what the sales that that number would give me. Like, I would love to make a lot of really big pieces with no thought about where they're going to go when I'm done, that there will be a home for them and hopefully somebody else will find it for me. I don't enjoy really the sales part of it. I like the people part of it, but I don't like having to sell myself part of it. Um, I just want to make these really cool big pieces of artwork and then somebody wants them. Yeah. 
uh, I'm pres- presumption is the answer is no or not often, but do you go around and go to these festivals and like the arts festivals that, you know, you'll have people touring the Southeast with, Right. is that, I, I don't do like a lot of the street festivals. I did that once, like bought the tent, put everything up and it was just, I, it was so not me. It was horrible. The whole process was horrible. Can we talk just a little bit about that? Cause I just always feel, I always feel so awkward when I'm at these things. Cause I really like this art, but it's not like I have $2,000 just to be shelling out for a painting on a Saturday. And I, I think I'm, I'm too empathetic for the whole process. Cause I feel that right. Like somebody kind of like skirts in the tent and they're looking at everything and they, they seem to be enjoying it and maybe they'll even ask questions, but then they seem embarrassed that they're not going to buy anything. Almost like they need to, you know, back out and say, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> That's sorry. how I feel. Yeah. And, and everybody, like a lot of people feel that way. Um, and I just like it that somebody likes what I have up in the tent. I mean, yes, it would be great to sell pieces, especially if you've schlepped it all to another city and packed up your car and spent four days of your life, you know, and, and you're having, you're in another city trying to stay somewhere and buy your meals and all that. Right. But ultimately, you're just out there to share your art. So I loved the connecting with the people again, but that that kind of transitional relationship of you give me money, I give you art, just feels dirty and awkward to me. Like, I don't enjoy that part at all. I got you. So, <laughs> um, and, and all the physical labor of putting up the tent by myself just was really awful. <laughs> yeah, I just, I believe you. <laughs> but, um, so I, I don't really do those kind of festivals. There, there are other art shows that I've done, you know, like Spotlight on Art here in Atlanta. I love that show. It's just great. I don't know about I don't this. have to put anything up. It's through um, Trinity School down um, Buckheadish. Okay. What's, what's that area called? Can't think of it right now. Yeah, it's all right. Anyway, Mount Perrin, that kind of area. And um, it's a fundraiser for their school, but they have a generally a really good eye for what's going on locally with artists, and they give local artists a, a shot to kind of show with a few big names. They put it all up. It's very sort of sensitively displayed. Uh, they take a cut for their fundraising, but um, they do all the work. It's great. What artists out there do you look look at and admire? So one of the artists that I took some workshops from for my own continuing education uh, is Helen DeRamis. And she is an encaustic artist and she started as a photographer and did photo encaustic and then has kind of traveled up into encaustic and she also does oils and stuff. Um, And I just, I just love her and I love her work. I find her so inspiring and she's a, a generous person with her knowledge and her materials and studio and stuff. And I, I, I feel lucky to have met her. Um, So I look up to her obviously. Um, the artist that we talked about from Columbus who lived three houses down from me, Marge Tilly, she was an idol of mine. Uh, also just a, a generous instructor. She taught me watercolor, which is like the one thing I don't do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell um, me why you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't really paint over it if you make a mistake. There's that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. uh, you trash it, it's done. Uh, there's no going back, or at least the way I like to do it, I guess. Um, I'll do inks now and for some reason that's okay but watercolors no I don't do those okay um, 
but she kind of taught me a lot about how to see things differently, how to see color differently at a young age. And I thought that was so helpful. She's like, look at this tree trunk. It is not brown. It is not brown. <laughs> it's purple. <laughs> it's gray. It has this little bit of orange color right here. It's got some green right here. It is not brown. It is not brown. Yeah. Um, but there, there are a lot of artists. Uh, there are a lot of local artists that I just really enjoy seeing their work around town. My, my home is filled with local artists. I mean, fabric arts and um, people who do prints from, you know, leaves. And it's just, there's just so much out there that's really fascinating and gorgeous. Very cool. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, I do want to finish up with uh, just some perennial questions that sure. I generally ask everybody. And, you know, take them for what they are. So if there's one that doesn't uh, resonate, we can just move on to the next one. Pass. Uh, exactly. Uh, is there a bookstore that you love or loved? Yes. So especially where I lived before we just moved like two months ago, there's a little bookstore called Bookmiser. Great name. Yep. And um, they were around the corner and I would take my children all the time and they just had this amazing knack for helping my children find the right book. And then I just love bookstores so i would just wander around and, and buy tons of books and uh they closed and i cried i freaking cried and i took them flowers like it was like someone had died oh wow so then we move here and guess what they've opened a store around the corner shut up mm -hmm. and it's the same lady what mm -hmm. it's kismet uh so there's a fire yep. family and pets are safe you can take three things and this can be you know, you can lift a refrigerator in this scenario if, <laughs> if you wanted to take your refrigerator. Uh, what would you take? And I'm really curious because so much of what you do is very physical. Right. You know, obviously you, you're mental. You can take that anywhere with you, but your materials are important to you. I wouldn't take any of my art. Okay. Oh, okay. There might be a, a couple of other art pieces that I'm really attached to that somebody else made that I might take. Uh, you know, I have a locket that I wear almost all the time and I would probably take that. Um, gosh, I don't know. It, it, things are... Things. Who gave you the locket? Josh, my husband. So it's Sweet. Got my, it's got my babies in it. That's but it's awesome. just like, I don't, I'm not a jewelry person. That's, that's my thing. I gotcha. Is there a quote or a quip that you kind of come back to? That has been important in your life? No. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, do you have a book or a film or a play that people should go see that, uh, that has been important to you? Or did you pass on and say, hey, you know, you haven't seen this? You need to see this. Gosh, so many. And it's kind of like I, I really enjoy finding the right book for the right person. Like I somehow you have that connection when you read a book and you're like, oh, so-and-so needs to read this. Yeah, like, I, love I love that. Those. Like, And I think it is a personal thing. Right now I'm reading Underland by Robert McFarlane, maybe? Which is this cool kind of connection with sort of being human and what is under the earth and how that changes us. So it's sort of ecological, but also sociological, like how we bury things that are important to us. Is it fiction or nonfiction? Non. But it reads like poetry. It's beautifully written. Oh, cool. Every sentence is just gorgeous. Do you give books? I mean, I, yes. Is there one, I know you try to tailor it to the person, but is there one that keeps popping up? Oh gosh, I've like, you know, I've got flower friends that I 
gave the language of flowers, which was a novel, but it had a ton of interesting tidbits about what flowers mean. Oh, cool. Um, I've given books of poetry. Oh, and I'm going to like... Where do you, do you still away. read poetry regularly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I still kind of have enough friends that are still in that world that um, they kind of are online recommending new poets all the time. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I'll have to talk. Yeah. I need help. I have trouble finding poets yeah. sometimes. One of my friends is, she's now on staff at FSU. She's a great person to follow. Oh, cool. Um, what would other people say your superpower is? And are they right? Part of the theory of the podcast is that we're all superheroes and we can all learn from each other's journeys. I, I guess my superpower is learning. Okay. Um, that I'm kind of always Is that what they would say or is that what you would say? That's what I would say. What would, what would they say? They would say, God, I don't know. And it's a hard question because it requires you to try to figure out what, how you are perceived, which is nothing that any which of us I'm want to really spend time at, on. Apparently. Um, <laughs> I... I Probably listening, although it doesn't seem like that today, but I think I'm good at hearing what people said and saying it back to them in a way that helps them feel understood. All right. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite failure? All of them. Like, I, I, art is all about failure. It's really failing, failing over and over again. And, and my history that we talked about today... You know, quitting stuff and changing things midstream and, and figuring out stuff. It arts all of that every day, and that's why I'm still in it. So, so what's making this stick? Because this is a, a shit ton of work. Yeah, it is. Um, why is this sticking with you, you think? Because I love the failures. The failures in art don't make me feel bad, I think. I, I think it's okay. Every failure is an immediate learning experience it's not like you have to step back and go oh i was 26 and i was so stupid this is like oh that doesn't work because of this i can use that and that's why i'm still in it and you don't take it personally no see that's that's i am now going to say that is what your superhero (laughs) ability is is to be able to produce a piece of art and and have it you know either be criticized from either yourself or the outside or be able to recognize that it doesn't work and not have that like define your you know not have that be a thing that's like that's something the people i run into including myself have a lot of hard time dealing with that's pretty amazing that's awesome good but, yeah go you <laughs> uh, how about this you have a favorite investment and this could be like a art. class you've taken so is it art for like hanging on your wall art or is it art for like teaching you art or is it all of the above or uh, it's art hanging on my walls. Like even yeah. when I was in that corporate job and before I really identified myself as an artsy person, I was buying art and my art collection started way young and I, it wouldn't feel like home without it. Okay. I love that. Uh, what's your kind of ideal no work Saturday? And if you want to put some work in there, you can, like if you want an hour to come down to your studio to, uh, Fiddle faddle. Sleep, sleep, and more sleep. Yeah. And, um, Do you not oh, get yeah. enough sleep? Oh, there's never enough sleep. <laughs> and I would probably be near the water, you know, okay. at the beach. If I'm at the beach, I'm gonna like read four books in one day. Um, somebody else make me like super, super delicious fresh food, but I don't have to go anywhere. 
I can just eat it at home. And a nice, warm, fuzzy blanket. All right. Saturday at the beach. I like mm-hmm. it. Uh, recent, what recent purchase of $100 or about that has made your life better? <laughs> I don't know if this counts, but um, I don't, I'm not a shopper. And it's like getting to not shop that's the gift. And so recently I've, I've signed up for one of those clothing delivery services. So mm-hmm. They just send me clothes. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Is this where you try it on and you can send it back yeah, uh-huh. or you rent yep. it? or, or Yeah, I might try the rental thing next, but no, this is just the try it on and if you don't like it, you send it back, pay for it thing. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good system. Yeah. Um, what bad advice do you hear given either in your artistic field or this could be, you could be thinking back in the poetry days or any of your various stops on the road. Like what have you heard that's still being given out? I think this is true in the poetry world and the art world that people, young people, old people get fed the thing, you know, if it makes you feel good, then it's good. And I I just don't think that's true. I think you have to work for it. And I think you've got to try to get better. I think you've got to progress and you have to read and you have to go to art shows and it's, you know, just because it felt good when you were making it doesn't make it good. That's a good answer. What's your kryptonite? Noise. Where can people find you online? Uh, well, on Instagram, I'm Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y dot fly, F-L-Y. And then my website is shfstudio.net. And that should get them everything they need. Where does the where's the fly come from? You've had fly involved in you for a while. Well, my last name is Fleischman, which, you know, I married into. And he had it as his abbreviation because no one can spell Fleischman correctly. Everybody always puts in a C or an extra N. And it's if it's a website or an address, you want them to be able to spell it. So, fly. Thank Plus you. Plus, it seems cooler. <laughs> <laughs> Even a better reason. They're both good reasons. Uh, Shelley, thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, I will link to uh, some your online stuff, obviously, and then uh, maybe take some photos around here. If that's all right with you. Sure, absolutely. Sweet. Thanks for being thank on the podcast. You. Enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Origin Story Podcast. The show is produced by Pinecone Turkey. To learn more about Pinecone Turkey, visit pineconeturkey.com, where you can sign up for the Flock email, a -a twice-a-month newsletter that delivers a short film, poetry, a short story, and visual art right to your inbox. It's your monthly dose of art curated by Pinecone Turkey. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening.